It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 19th of June. Kevin Pelton stops by, breaks down some of the Anthony Davis deal, and then looks at the draft through the numbers. We do it all coming up next on Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, and geeky, geeky numbers. All right, here's the plan. Pelton and I sat down and have that for you, and then I am not going to be back until basically free agency, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm taking a family vacation, and we'll be back for NBA TV broadcasts and all of that. Uh, taking place during summer league, and we'll see what the Jazz team is. If I have to record something, or if I if there's something to be recorded, I'll uh, I'll try to get it done. But it seems unlikely. I'll be a pretty many many time zones away, um, so that's probably not going to uh, take place. Uh, so here's Pelton for you, and we'll have that. Uh, hope you enjoy it with a little breakdown of what the Lakers actually will look like and how good they are and things like that. Um, interesting comment someone made to me yesterday was that if the Jazz added Mike Conley right now, they'd have them be the favorites in the Western Conference. Uh, and with all the drama going on around Houston, uh, that's pretty interesting uh, to hear. So uh, the West is open. It's exciting times for the Utah Jazz, and we'll see what they're able to do. Here's the interview with Kevin Pelton. The great Kevin Pelton joins us on Locked On Podcast Network. All right, we were going to do total draft stuff. This is our yearly conversation. KP has the best number system projecting players um, and how they do in the draft. We'll get to that in just one second. But can I first just uh, two questions about the Anthony Davis trade? You've done a ton of work on it. First, uh, oh, you did a trade grade that everybody can get. I don't want to give it away, but what was your overall take uh, on on it? I think it's been interesting listening to national podcasts. Everyone's talking about the fleecing in the hall, and we had on Locked on NBA, we had Jake Madison of Pelic- Locked on Pelicans and Anthony Irwin Locked on Lakers, and frankly, they were both ecstatic. And I thought it was just kind of an interesting perspective that the two local guys who are with the team all the time both were like, this is great. And yet the Nationals all kind of breaking it down in different elements. What was your overall just kind of take on the deal? Yeah, I mean, I think I started out more, you know, towards that perspective where, okay, this makes a lot of sense for both sides. You know, we, before we got the details of the draft picks involved and, and everything the Lakers were giving up in that regard. Because, look, obviously, I mean, Anthony Davis is a hugely valuable player, you know, one of the most valuable players to get traded, even though now we've seen a number of these superstar trades. You know, he's he's better and younger than a lot of these guys who have been traded and uh, maybe healthier than Kawhi Leonard was this time a year ago. So, you know, it makes sense that the Pelicans are going to get more in terms of, you know, three young players, two of them who are high lottery picks, even if you know, they don't necessarily retain quite all that value now, uh, both of those guys. And then multiple first-round picks going forward, including, you know, the number four pick in this year's draft. Um you know, but the the fact that the Lakers are draft picks are going to be so compromised over the next seven years here, I I, I think my understanding is until the uh, until the draft happens or even after the draft happens, they cannot trade a first round pick because of the way that the you know either there's a projection on that 
or a swap or, or get the deferral that the, uh, the Pelicans have in 2024. So there's a chance of any of those picks and there's no pick in between them that's unencumbered and that they can trade. I guess they could trade, they could trade, you know, they can't trade the 2020 pick either because of the protection. So yeah, they can't trade a first round pick after this, uh, which is, you know, pretty significantly compromising your ability to build out this roster. And then the other aspect of it, of course, is because of the fact that you've given up, you know, three players for one and already had a number of players heading into free agency, you now have five players under guaranteed contract for next season and need to pull out a roster. And then the other aspect of it that, you know, I think was kind of lost in the initial reporting is the crucial element of when this deal gets completed, whether it gets done on July 6th, the first day it can, and the Lakers use cap space to take in Anthony Davis's salary, or it gets delayed until 30 days after they sign the number four pick, presumably July 30th, in which case they could use that pick salary as part of this matching, uh, as part of matching salary in this trade and make it without using cap space. And that then allows them to have max level cap space for free agents with seven to nine years of experience, which is most of the best players on the market. Uh, and then, you know, they could potentially get a third star. That's a pretty substantial difference. Or even if they don't get that third star, they still have, you know, depending on whether Anthony Davis waives his trade bonus, about $8 million more to spend in free agency and trying to fill out this roster and get some depth and some actual guards on the roster. I can't tell whether I think the Lakers had no choice or they didn't know, and if they didn't know, it is a colossal misstep. Uh, as far as the timing? Yeah. It's tough to say. I mean, you'd think that would be front and center in negotiations, and the fact that there isn't clarity on it suggests that it was not front and center in negotiations. Right. Which is pretty, which, um, pretty unreal if the Lakers didn't know that, uh, but wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be different than the course of what they have been doing for 12 months. Um, and I think that's, I think that's part of it. Like, you know, they're going to have to nail free agency this summer to make this an actual championship contender, to put the, the supporting pieces around Davis and LeBron and Kyle Kuzma, the one young guy they held on to to compete and you know they kind of need to win now to justify the expense in terms of draft picks and uh you know that that to me is still an uncertain thing the you also i think did a piece on how the lakers can fill out the roster i mean if with lebron maxed and anthony davis maxed uh it's very difficult for them to make trades and very difficult for them to sign a lot of players how if they do how good are they if they fill out their roster kind of with the limitations they have? I mean, I think we're looking at them somewhere in the 50s in terms of win total, assuming that Davis and LeBron stay reasonably healthy. I mean, they'll be unusually vulnerable to injury because of the fact that they'll have such a top-heavy roster. But I think there's probably, you know, a, a difference of, you know, whether they're in the low 50s or in the high 50s, depending on what quality of role players they're able to get. I mean, Danny Green, I think, is someone I mentioned in that piece. He'd be like the perfect player to go with this group as a 3 and D contributor and, you know, kind of underscores how crazy it was that the Raptors were able to get him as essentially a throw-in in that trade with San Antonio for Kawhi Leonard last year. But, you know, there's a couple of players like that. Uh, Patrick Beverly is obviously someone who makes sense at point guard. I think there's a couple other names there uh, that could work that I mentioned in the piece. But you get those two guys as opposed to lesser free agents. That's what you know you're talking. I think puts you in that high fifty win range. But high fifty win is not championship. 
It could be next year. I mean, this is right. also, you know, the projection going forward. But I think I, we'll see what happens with Milwaukee and their ability to re-sign their free agents and, and obviously Toronto with Kawhi. But I think that next year we're probably more likely to have more teams that win 50-plus games than we've seen the last few years, but fewer teams that win 60-plus. All right, that is Kevin Pelton's Anthony Davis draft break or trade breakdown. It's interesting how it all plays out. Um, now, um, let's take a look at the draft. So, Kevin Pelton, you have done a fabulous job over the years of creating a projection system that uh, on on the draft. And I, I would say I think that, I've you know, obviously we've done this every year. I've followed it closely. I think you've done a really good job. 25 to 35 and sometimes 15 to 25 and finding maybe the real gems in that range would you could would you agree that you think that's the best strength of of the program you've been able to build i mean sometimes even later than that in terms of you know fred van vliet was someone my projections really liked probably even too much in the draft and he ended up going entirely undrafted before signing with the raptors and now becoming NBA Finals hero Fred Van Fleet and you know Monte Morris who had a really nice uh, season for Denver last year as their backup point guard was also someone I had rated pretty highly and went 51st so maybe even though later in the draft in terms of those guys. You also, if I remember, over the years Andre Robertson was a pretty good pick for uh, numbers one for you. Rajon Rondo was one of the first. Who else have been successes? Uh, Jay Crowder to to name someone familiar to Jazz fans. Uh, Draymond Green in that similar range. That those are probably the guys you're thinking of in terms of the 25 to 35. How good have you been at projecting busts? I, you know, I think it, it, there's an elevated risk factor with guys who have poor projections. I mean, something I wrote about a few years ago that I think has really been quite meaningful to me, more more so than the individual projections themselves, is you know if you break down uh, draft picks into three categories. Guys who get taken in the top 10 but are not in the top 10 of my projections in, in the stats-only version that doesn't incorporate where they're drafted. Uh, guys who are in the top 10 for me who aren't drafted in the top 10. And then guys who are in the top 10 in both of them. The guys who are in the top 10 in both of them have dramatically more successful outcomes than the other groups. You know, Far more all-stars, generally the best players in the league, tend to come out of that ca- category. There are, there are plenty of hits in both of the other two categories but more, many more misses. And so when you account for the fact that those the players that are in my top 10 but not drafted in the top 10 are drafted lower than the players who are drafted in the top 10 but I don't rate as top 10, that's probably a more relatively successful group. But it's also not you know, a sure thing. So there, there definitely is an elevated risk, I would say, you know, when you take guys who don't have strong uh, backgrounds in terms of production that high in the draft. We've had a unique run of Rudy Gobert's and Kawhi Leonard's and guys that are post ten being coming all stars. It's it's been at a higher rate than usual. Um, in the case of Gobert and Giannis, you have you know physical marvels. Um, are we having more picks post ten that become stars than we used to have? And is there anything you can zero in on of why? I, I, yeah, I think the last the latter question is more important. I think the answer is almost certainly yes in terms of particularly the, just the star, of the, the superstar ability of those players. You know, if you look at Giannis and Kawhi Leonard being both in the conversation for the best player in the NBA, 
having that player be drafted outside the top 10 is, is pretty rare historically. I don't know if there's a reason for it, though, uh, other than just kind of, you know, there's going to be a lot of randomness in how that happens. You know, I think maybe the way that players are going to be evaluated continues to evolve and, and change over time, particularly as we're drafting guys younger. That does, you know, imply, I think, a greater overall uncertainty, even though I don't think it's accurate that an individual player drafted at age 19 is necessarily riskier than a player drafted at age 22. I think it just kind of, you know, makes it, it makes it harder to evaluate if you've got players who are, are is underdeveloped at, at the point they're drafted as Giannis was, where his body has completely transformed, you know, since he was taken by the Bucks. And then also, I think, you know, the it becomes more difficult to evaluate college veterans now that, you know, they're not playing against the other best prospects at the same age as they were a couple decades ago. Now they're playing against, you know, really talented freshmen. And the other upperclassmen generally tend not to be NBA draft prospects because those guys have already left. Kevin Pelton is the guy, ESPN.com, with all of his stuff. You can read it there. We'll come back. Who are those players in the top ten in both? Who are those late picks that he might be looking at? And we'll dig into the 19 versus 22-year-old because that's relevant to this draft. That's all coming up on today's edition of, well, multiple Locked On shows on the Locked On podcast. Today's show is brought to you in part by Homie. Homie is revolutionizing the real estate world and giving you an opportunity to save equity. That's called saving money. That's really what this is all about, and that is what what Homie is doing. Instead of the 6% that you're so used to hearing about and doing, what Homie is doing is you list a house simply for $1,500. No, not 6% anymore. Not No, then the Homie team backs you. And helps you get your house sold. And right now, they're selling houses at faster than the market va- at the market rate and for more money. So, yes, that's right. You get more equity. Real estate market is being blown up, and it's being blown up by homie. Find out what they can do for you by texting LOCK, L-O-C-K-E, to 88588. That's L-O-C-K-E to 88588. It's pretty fascinating. It's a bunch of guys out of BYU. They did the same thing in the apartment world and how you pay bills, and they look for a new area that needed to be changed and they went to the real estate market and now you're the one who wins out of it simply a flat fee of fifteen hundred dollars to list your house no other charges the team works with you and gets it done so text lock l-o-c-k-e to eight eight five eight eight that's eight eight five eight eight to find out what homie can do for you show's also brought to you by the store at 6200 south and 20th east those are my guys and it's an exciting time of year with the summer barbecues going on and all that. They've got Cottonwood Ace attached to them. You can get the best Traeger set up there uh, imaginable if you need to over there. Plus, you can get your great meats in the back. Jeff and Scott and Amy went and did a taste test, and it was unanimous. And so they switched the meat in the market. That's the kind of level of detail. They also look for all the local people. So it's the June pies coming into town and all the rest uh, there and available for you at the store, 600 South, 20 East, and when you're there, of course, get the Mudslide cookie, and of course, get the Leatherbees Locked On Mudslide ice cream and the Loch Ness 
ice cream, all based on the mudslide cookie, and we created it thanks to Leatherby's for doing that. That's 6200 South. It's 20 of East. It's the store. You'll feel that local feel. The minute you come in, and they're opening a new one coming in the gateway soon. So that's exciting stuff for you. If you want to become a store VIP, you can do that as well. The store has a really cool VIP texting number uh, that gives you an opportunity. So just go ahead and text the store to 71441. That's the store, 71441. Okay, Kevin, let's get to the top 10 of both. Who is top 10 in your numbers and who is top 10 in generally thought of in the mock drafts to be a top 10 player? So the list this year is unusually short, which I think backs up the conventional wisdom, the notion that this is a particularly weak top of the draft. Uh, until I plugged in the international prospects a couple of weeks ago, we just wrote about on ESPN Plus, there were only two guys, and it was Zion and John Moran. So thanks. I've identified that the two best prospects in this year's draft are the, the two guys who are going to go number one and two. Uh, the perhaps more interesting name that joined that group more recently is Sekou Dumboya, the uh, French forward who is about the youngest player possibly draftable under the current rules. Uh, his birthday, he, he was, you know, he's just 18 now and he won't turn 19 until the end of December with that being the cutoff that you have to be 19 in the year you're drafted uh, if you're an international prospect. So given that you the fact that he was competitive playing in the French league, which is not, not a great league, not a top-tier domestic league, but then also in Euro Cup for his team, that suggests there, there is a great deal of potential there. Interesting. And he seems to be moving up a little bit on the boards right now, so maybe maybe people are paying attention to you. I, I don't know if people are paying attention to me since the news just got out there. Uh, uh, that, that was just published on Tuesday. I, I think part of what's happening is he's actually getting a chance to work out for teams after his season ended, and I think that... Uh, He's someone they want to get a look at uh, up close. Now, it is interesting that you know there are different statistical projections, and sometimes they they differ wildly in their conclusions. The ESPN analytics model that we have projects him is you know in the 30s in terms of overall prospect, and I, I think one possible difference is they may be accounting for the fact that he played last year in the second division in France in 2017-18 and wasn't particularly good there. That's not in my projection, but is a bit of a, a cause for concern in his case. Interesting. So I looked at a bunch of things this year on the draft prospects. I, I went and looked at kind of where they, what they are in transition, what they are um, in pick and roll, what they are in catch and shoot, what they are in open catch and shoot. Uh, a lot of those kind of synergy numbers that are out there. What relevant? Do you find any relevance in any of that kind of stuff? I mean, I certainly think like catch and shoot can be valuable in identifying role players, uh, particularly guys who, you know, perhaps at the college level play more with the ball in their hands, but you know, might project in the NBA more to being in a spot up role, and you know, maybe their three point percentage is a little lower if they're taking shots off the dribble that they're not going to have to take in the NBA. Okay. All right. So. Uh, who of the top 10 are particularly low on your numbers picks? I mean, I think R.J. Barrett relative to where he's likely to go in the draft is pretty low. I mean, 
Uh, it, it's interesting because I, you can certainly construct a case that R.J. Barrett is going to be a much better NBA player than he was a college player. The Duke roster, the way it was put together this year, didn't have a lot of shooting. Trey Jones, their point guard, struggled, I think, more than expected from three-point range. And that meant defenses were really sagging off, you know, Trey Jones and some of their other you know, role players and, and preventing Barrett and Zion to a lesser extent, although Zion is able to still be quite successful uh, from getting to the basket. So Barrett could be one of those guys that you put him in an NBA system, put Shooty around him, he becomes a lot more effective in terms of you know creating high-value high shots at the rim. On the other hand, you know he wasn't particularly efficient at the AAU level either, which is something that I include in my projections thanks to uh, data from ESPN Stats and Info. And that's a bit of a concern to me because that's kind of, to me, part of the value of using that AAU data is you get uh, another data point in terms of, you know, the roster that's constructed differently than where players are playing if they're only spending one year in college. DeAndre Hunter is also really interesting because statistically he doesn't come out very well, even though you watch him play, you can see someone who looks like they probably should and maybe will once we get more you know, plus-minus data and have that to evaluate him. One of his big weaknesses is that he does not get very many steals and blocks for someone who's considered an elite defender, but you know, he does have great size and versatility defensively, so it could be a case where we're missing something on him, although you know, historically the, the most valuable defenders tend to combine good on-the-ball defense with the ability to you know, create steals and blocks. It's interesting on both those guys. R.J. Barrett was in the 40th percentile in isolation this year. That's pretty low for a college player that's going to be a top-five draft pick. Yeah, I think that may partially speaks to what we're seeing in terms of he didn't have great you know, spacing, had a tough time, therefore, beating his man and the help defense off the dribble, and does have a tendency to settle. I mean, that's the downside is that you know, this is someone who late in games wanted to take over and was often ineffective in doing so. Right. I mean, it's interesting. I, I think there's very few categories where he's above 50 percentile that I looked at. That jumped out to me on, on him. Hunter's interesting to me because he only had 22 pick and roll attempts last year with the ball in his hands. And so you, because of the way Virginia plays, I don't think you know what he can do yet. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. And, you know, that'll probably be something he continues to develop in the league. I think if you're optimistic about DeAndre Hunter, you know, kind of a more defensive auto porter type is, is maybe what you see him as. Hmm. Interesting. Um, how's Cam Reddish come out as your, on your numbers? So Reddish is interesting because if you look strictly at his numbers during his one season at Duke, they, they are not good at all. And I think that's why a lot of statistical projections are quite low on him. He actually comes out okay for me, and that's largely because of the AAU statistics that I mentioned that I incorporate. He was more effective there in terms of managing uh, a really high volume of possessions and doing so with with reasonable efficiency. So uh, there may still be hope for Gam Reddish. He's also one of those players who he kind of looks like he should be a shooter, has the form to indicate he would be a shooter, and I think was pretty good at the free throw line. You know, projects over eighty percent there, but he just his threes have not gone in historically. Um, the uh, eight nineteen versus twenty two. Something just went crazy. I don't know what it was. A bunch of little notes coming in. Uh, 
19, 18 verse 20, 19 years old, verse 22, we'll touch on, and uh, those hidden draft picks. That's all next when we continue with the great Kevin Pelton. You can find him on Twitter at, at KPelton. You can even send him a thank you for coming on. We super appreciate it. Back with more on the Locked On Podcast Network. Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. Multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app, and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees, and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30-plus health-conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple, because let's be honest here, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it, and if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. More with Kevin Pelton coming up today's show brought to you by Shamrock Auto Group. I have not called Rob by the wrong, wrong name in so long. I almost feel like I should. It's Rob Taylor. And for those who missed it, I used to call him Rob Thomas, like the lead singer of uh, Matchbox 20. But Rob Taylor is the owner of Shamrock Auto Group. They are located out in Pleasant Grove at 203 North and 2000 West. And Rob and uh, his crew out there, Brady Kimball and all the rest, uh, try to give you the ultimate used car buying experience. So what they really have done over there is they have a lean staff and they want to make sure that you get better cars, no drama, no hassle, great pricing, and you get in and out the door quickly. You can take the test drive by yourself. And what Rob prides himself on more than anything else is the reviews. And Kellen, the salesman, was wonderful to work with, wrote Tracy. He had a great personality. I'd recommend them to anyone. Actually, I purchased my Ford, my 2016 Ford F-150 from him on September 21st uh, and loved it. Lizzie says the same thing. We just purchased our second vehicle from them, and both experiences were great. That's what makes Rob get all fired up. Plus, free lifetime seven-day cooler, which is comparable to Yeti. Lifetime is a Utah company. If you tell me you came in with Locked On Jazz, they specialize in six- to 12-month-old vehicles with five to 20,000 miles, Suburbans, Yukon, big SUVs. It is the Utah County Assault Vehicles, and they're available for you in Pleasant Grove at Shamrock Auto. Tell Rob I say hi. Stop by, say hi to Brady and Kellen and the whole crew out there. It's all at Shamrock. Auto in Pleasant Grove. Remember on draft night, Locked On NBA Net, that's Locked On NBA Net, is a great Twitter follow. It's all the local experts on one feed, so you can get the reaction as picks come down on how they impact everyone across the NBA. That's Locked On NBA Net. All right, you and I have done this conversation every year. Uh, without a lot of analytics, I have become just one of the most biggest kind of believers in. I'm terrified in the top 15 picks of the 22-year-old who just had a good last two years and didn't have a great first two years. The Frank Kaminsky's, the Wesley Johnson's, the Epe Udo's. I just I I feel like without 
you know, I don't know if I'm like finding my case points to prove my point. I just feel like it's like almost a guarantee that these guys just are not going to pan out. Um, why did you make the comment earlier that 19 and 22 is not that big a difference? I don't know that it. I, I would say it's not that big a difference. I mean, I think it it creates more uncertainty often, and that's why, you know, I I think that your theory makes sense generally, even though we disagreed on Frank Kaminsky specifically. And I think I, I have to concede that debate to you at this point. It, you know, if you're good when you're playing against players who are the same age and and therefore the other top prospects are in that pool, I think that's more telling than if you're beating up on kind of somewhat lesser and more inexperienced can, uh, competition when you're a veteran college player. And then, you know, you have that experience edge when you're a 22 or 23 year old or, or in the worst case scenario, sometimes you see 24 year olds at the college level, but then you go to the NBA and no matter how much college experience you have, you're still at the bottom of the barrel when you get to the NBA. So what do we do with like a Cameron Johnson, who is not going to probably be a top 15 pick. I think he's 22 or 23, but he's also, like his catch and shoot effective field goal percentage was seventy two percent. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with age. Um, how do you evaluate someone like that? Yeah, he was the first person I was going to think think of in terms of this category. Uh, maybe Mafandu Kapengeli, although you know he he's not is experienced at the collegiate level. Uh, you, so you have to get a ways into the draft to start finding these players. Uh, these are guys we're talking about in the early 20s, not necessarily in the top 10, like you were met in some of the guys you were mentioning earlier. Or, you know, I, I can't remember if Frank Kaminsky went in the top 10, but certainly what the, what the Hornets were offered for that pick and trade was uh, commensurate with a, a top 10 pick. So you're, you're talking at a lower risk at this point. And, you know, if there are specific skill sets that translate, I think that, that can potentially overcome it. And, yeah, I mean, if you're drafting, Cameron Johnson, it's the, the combination of size and ability to, to shoot off the catch that you're expecting is going to translate, not that he's going to you know develop into a, a star in the NBA. All right, if I was listening to this podcast earlier, all I want to know is who is Fred Van Vliet, who is Monte Morris this year? Yeah, I'm not sure that I have anyone I feel you know quite as strongly about it as those two guys. I think to me the most interesting player in this year's draft uh, now is Chuma Okiki from Auburn who I think was set to climb the draft boards pretty significantly after uh, playing well as Auburn was advancing in the NCAA tournament and then unfortunately toward his ACL in, uh, in the NCAA tournament and now will likely miss most of next season. I, you know, I think that you know, teams would, the drafted would want to probably be pretty conservative with how they handled him, but he's number two overall in the stats-only version of my projections behind only Zion. So if, if you're willing to wait on Chamo Kiki for a year, uh, you could get pretty good value. I would compare him a little bit maybe to uh, OG and Yanobi a, a couple of years ago when he was in the draft, also coming off the torn ACL. Now, as it turned out, OG was able to play from day one during during his rookie season. He tore his ACL a little earlier in the college season than uh, Okiki did. And then, you know, he had kind of a disappointing second season this year, didn't didn't uh, play as large a role as we expected, wasn't able to play at all in the uh, playoffs due to leave uh, athletic hernia that, that sidelined him at the start of it. But still, you know, looks like a, a great prospect for where he was taken in the mid-20s. And Okiki, because of his injury and the fact that he was quite as highly regarded as Andy Novi before that, he's probably going to go somewhere in the second round. 
you have been very outspoken on the, missing that first year is irrelevant. That players aren't actually usually very good in that year anyway. So missing that year is not that big a deal. Is that still is that a fair representation of what you believe? It is, especially once you get into the twenties and thirties. Those guys, you know, a lot of them aren't going to play very much at all as rookies. They probably aren't going to help you win very much right away. So you shouldn't be drafting them for two, three years down the road. Now, you know, with the ACL, there is a concern that you're not going to come back quite the same player after that injury. And I think that's reasonable, but I think the teams probably tend to overweight that in the draft. And in general, I think guys who, you know, have injuries are often underdrafted. All right. If you're not going to go put all the chits on red on one player on 23, like you did with Van Vliet and, Monte Morris, who are the players that if drafted, say, plus 20, 25 in this draft, your team gets them, you should feel good because Kevin Pelton says you might have got yourself a find. I think another interesting player in this draft is going to be right on the edge of that is Bull Bull from Oregon. Uh, Another player coming off an injury, in his case, probably a scarier one long term because he had, you know, a a fractured bone in his foot. And that that with seven footers tends to often be a long term concern. But, you know, I think that the reason he's dropped actually probably has more to do with production and, you know, the fact that uh, A teams are probably better valuing centers after drafting a bunch of them in the top seven last year you know, that they're easy to find later in the draft and and is relatively low-cost free agents. And then also the fact that Mo Bamba, to whom Bobo was, you know, is most frequently compared, had a really disappointing rookie season for the Magic. That, that probably hurt Bobo, despite not actually having anything necessarily to do with him. But, you know, statistically, he comes out, despite the, the kind of penalty that I give to centers in terms of their production, because of that high replacement level, still comes out as top 10 prospect in my staff only model and likely will go in the late teens of the early 20s. So I think he's he's someone interesting to watch. Uh, if we're going in the second round, Shamori Pons from St. John's is, is someone who is always projected pretty well. A high steal rate, which tends to be an important indicator of how well you're going to translate to the NBA. Someone who was very high volume scorer at St. John's. And, you know, I think because of the, his size, because of the way he plays, maybe unlikely to be a starter in the NBA long term, but I think could be a really good backup in a different style than Van Vliet and Monte Morris, but, you know, maybe more of a, a Patty Mills type in the NBA. And then uh, let's see, uh, one, one more name that I really like is Zach Norvell from Gonzaga, who may not get drafted at all. I think we have him 61st on the uh, ESPN Top 100 that my colleague Jonathan Gavoni does. So, you know, that would suggest that he would be right on the fringe of drafted at all. Uh, really good shooter, not a, not a good athlete at all. Uh, had one of the lower vertical jumps in uh at the NBA draft combine when they tested that and, and was also near the bottom in a number of the other athletic testing categories, but just someone who I think knows how to play and, you know, is, is at least athletic enough to hold his own defensively and then can be a, a really good catch and shoot option. on offense. You mentioned Mo Bamba. Mo Bamba might've been the victim of my favorite quote I heard all year long. What's that? Somebody was talking about Mo Bamba and how last year he came to his draft interviews in a suit with a briefcase. And there, someone said, that's cute and all, but I'd rather have him wear high tops and bring a basketball. I was like, yeah, good point. Well, it worked. It did work. All right, let's, let's not to be the negative Nelly, but who are the players that are going to go top 20 that your numbers just don't see it? 
I mean, we mentioned a couple of them already in terms of, you know, Kevin Gelly and, and uh, to a lesser extent, Cameron Johnson who might, go, might not go top 20. Rui Hachimura uh, is an interesting case. Uh, the, the Gonzaga forward, you got, I think, most of the credit for their success last season. But statistically, in terms of the advanced numbers, it was Brandon Clark, his, his teammate in the front court, who was a transfer from San Jose State and played just the one year at Gonzaga, who was the much more effective player uh, last season. And they're going to go in a pretty similar range, and probably Hachimura is going to go ahead of Brandon Clark. And that, I don't think, is, is supported statistically. Uh, our Locked On Suns guys would be glad to hear that because on the Locked On NBA mock draft, they surprised everyone and took Clark sixth. Oh, that that might be a little higher than I would want to go with him, but uh, yeah, I, I think that he, he. I wouldn't be surprised if he went higher than he expected on draft night because there is some team that kind of fell in love with his production and his tools. And, you know, he's somewhere, but some combination of like, I Brandon Wright. This 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 may not be the best sales pitch for him as a uh, top fifteen pick, but. Uh, Got, got some Brandon Wright and some, and some Jordan Bell because he's kind of got the ability to play make from the high post as well as being a shot blocker. Kevin Pelton, you do great work. I'll be curious to see who turns out this year. Thank you always so much for your time. Great work. Keep it up at ESPN. He's K Pelton on Twitter. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Kevin Pelton. If you want to throw him at K Pelton, thank you. And I appreciate you guys letting me go on vacation. And uh, we'll see. Big news will happen. Maybe I'll record something. We'll get something out for you from a far off land. Last time I went uh, away on draft day, we got Donovan Mitchell. So let's hope the same happens again. Thanks very much for all of you guys. And this has been Locked on Jazz. We'll talk to you in July. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked on Fantasy Basketball podcast. The NBA is back. So that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando. And Locked on Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA. So if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked on Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.